Hey, hey, you're listening to Johnny's Secret Stash. This is John Goldman, and you're listening to us on Radio Harbor Country. That's WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan, and WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Uh, the show is underwritten by Kara's Cottages, one of downtown Kalamazoo's first Airbnbs. Kara's Cottages are within walking distance of local shops, breweries, and some of Michigan's most beautiful walking trails. Additional information at karascottages.com. That's Kara's and Cottages with a K. Well, we've got a very, very special show for you today. Bruce Katz, legendary blues player, uh, keyboard player, played with Greg Allman, played with uh, the Allman Brothers Band that um, uh, included some of the uh, not, uh, some of the original uh, Allman Brothers players. He's played with uh, Delbert McClintock, uh, Papa Chubby, Samantha Samantha Fish. He's played with all of them, and he is coming to the Acorn Theater on Friday, October 21st. Uh, that is going to be an unbelievable show. Looking forward to that one, and I'm very much looking forward to talking with him, and we're going to get him here on the line just in a minute. While we're waiting for Bruce, let's uh, listen to one of his songs. This is Hesitation Blues from the album Get Your Groove, 2018 album, and here's Bruce Katz. Thank you. 
Hi, Bruce. Welcome to the show. Glad to have you on. Uh, so you're driving from Lincoln, Nebraska right now. Am I correct? Yeah, we're, we're in a bit of a drive this afternoon. All right. A little pleasure, a little pleasure 10 hour drive. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. You know, we just broke it up in the middle here and, uh, we're on our way. All right. That. Yeah. You know, the, I've done that. I 80 probably, right. That's, uh, yeah, the I route 80, to, from Chicago yeah. to Denver pretty much. And, that is, uh, I, you know, you always think like Iowa's boring corn, but I think Iowa's like the most exciting part of that. And then when you get into like uh, Sioux City and uh, right around the Omaha, you know, the Nebraska border, and then uh -huh. it's nothing, you know, past, you know, into Nebraska, and then like Illinois is about as boring as it gets. But I hope you guys are having a better time. <laughs> We always have a good time. Yeah, I'll, bet. I'll bet. You've been doing this for a long time. I, I'm just amazed. I'm really just so excited to have you at the Acorn on Friday night. Um, yeah, we're excited to be there. I mean, it's, it looks like a beautiful place, and I've heard it's great. And, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. You know, we played the area in the clubs. Like, um, used to play at um, the Midway and the Livery you know, in uh, oh, Ben yeah. Harbor, Midway, and Mishawaka. Right. Um, oh, so I didn't know I you we, played at the Midway. I did know that you played at the... Oh, I played at the Midway a lot, actually. Oh, wow. Albertina, yeah. I was very yeah, yeah. sad about Albertina's passing a year ago or two years ago. But, um, yeah, so all of our, hopefully, Mishawaka South Bend fans will come out. Cause that's, yeah, let's that's hope so. close, right? It is that's pretty close. close. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, half hour away or so. Uh, uh -huh. And, um, yeah, the Midway... Um, uh, the Midway was uh, is such a great place, and they uh, seen some great soulful blues place. there. Very soulful, yeah. 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 That place goes back. I mean, I don't think that they could. You know, it's like in a neighborhood, in a, a residential yeah, neighborhood. Oh, that always struck me as being kind of a funky um, thing there. Well, the first time we ever pulled up there, we pulled up to the front, and we're looking in this little room, and we're going, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we play in the window of the little storefront. <laughs> Not realizing, of course, that their giant speakeasy that was behind it was, you know, right. part of the building. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the liveries, that place is awesome. And I know that you uh, um, got connected to those guys, I believe, through my friend Tom Ives. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, he, Tom he connected us. Great record story. Uh, yeah, we love Tom. He, yeah, he does have a great record store, and, and uh, also he's got all that uh, you know equipment and things like that. Uh -huh. And he's just he's right on it. Anyway, so sir, you're a you're a legend. I will say that you know it's uh, it's quite the pleasure. But I'm a I've been a huge fan of the Allman Brothers forever, and uh, you know all the little um, uh, the the outcroppings from the Allman Brothers band. Uh -huh. You know, uh, Derek right. Trucks and. Um, you know, Butch's nephew, starting up with uh, Susan Tedeschi and, and all that. Right. And then I noticed that um, you were uh, actually uh, a, a student and then I think also a, an instructor at the Berkeley School of Music. Yes. Yeah. I, I was, yeah. I, and, I was there as a student and then sort of went out and played in the world for about 18 or 19 years and then came back and taught, but I was also, I was touring all the time uh, and teaching. It was, you know, it probably it was made a uh, hard. tricky, tricky life schedule, but it was great. I really liked it. Yeah. Well, yeah. you've gotten, it seems to me that you've gotten the musical education of a lifetime working with all these awesome musicians, uh, you know, like J-Mo and Butch Trucks and, and Greg Almond and, uh, and I saw some videos of you with Samantha Fish and Papa Chubby and, and then you've got this yeah, great I mean, band was, behind you now. 
Yeah, I mean, I was with Delbert McClinton and John Hammond. Yeah, right. Just to keep going down the list. I mean, those are just some of the (laughs) some of the best. I mean, some of the very best in blues. And and you're also highly educated in music. You know, having gone to the Berklee School of Music and um, right. And then, which sometimes uh, make me suspect to other blues musicians. Isn't that crazy, though? You know, here yeah, you've got crazy. a formal education in music, and and that's a a turnoff for blues musicians. You know, but the but listening to you, it comes from the heart. You know, you just can tell that. Uh, so right. I, I'm sure that any of these guys that listen to you, you know, all those uh, all those reservations are are uh, are gone. Um, so uh, and I bring I would bring it up Berkeley School of Music because I know Susan Tedeschi went to Berkeley School of Music. Right. Not right, at the yeah. same time you were there, probably though. <laughs> no, she was a student there um, a few years before I came back to teach. But I've known actually I've known Susan since she was about twenty or twenty one years old. Um, I used to play with the blues guitarist Ronnie Earl. Oh yeah, and we used when we were local. We play every Wednesday night at this little place in suburban Boston, and she would come out all the time and sing with us um, before anybody knew who she was. And even then, this this like nineteen ninety three, maybe something like that, thirty years ago. Wow! I mean, even then, I I would listen to her sing and literally think this person could be a huge star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But she was that good then, you know, when she was twenty one. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah. So I've known her forever. Um, she is amazing. She just blows me away. And and the fact that she's just got this sweet demeanor and this, you know, like yes. very sweet voice. And then when she gets up on stage, she just kind of gets this like growl behind her, you know, like yeah, yeah, her yeah. lip curls and and uh, she can belt it. And she's an unbelievable guitar player, too. You know, there's yeah. there's singers and there's guitar players. And, you know, to see her... Um, to cross that that line and do both so well is just such a pleasure. It's just, uh, and then of course Derek is uh, just such an unbelievable guitar player that uh, yeah. everything is uh, comes comes from it. Now, when you were with the Allman Brothers, um, did you ever play with Derek Trucks? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. wow. You know, I mean, I was in Greg's band, but I did some tours with the Allman Brothers also, and and um, you know that was with Derek and Warren. Yeah. And, uh, the full band. I would, and O'Teal. I would, you know, yeah. Yeah. J-Mo Butch. I would play piano on those tours. You know, Greg was playing organ. I mean, in my band, I play a lot of Hammond organ. But, of course, yeah. <laughs> with, with Greg or the Allman Brothers, I was playing piano. Except when, if Greg would play guitar on something, I would switch over to the organ. But, you know. Yeah. I could have stepped on Greg Allman's toes there on the organ. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, he's quite accomplished on the organ as well. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, well, and O'Teal, uh, you know, he um, uh, he's made quite a career of himself since since uh, playing with the Allman Brothers too. You know, now he's been with Dead yeah, & Company for Dead Company, yeah, about I don't know six seven years since uh, yeah. the Fairly Well tour and everything, and uh, just but you know, we had a uh, we had a band that. Butch organized called Late Brer that only existed for a few years because then Butch died. But yeah. that was basically the Allman Brothers minus Greg. I mean, it was it was Butch, J-Mo, Mark Canones, O'Teal, and um, Jack Pearson, who was in the Allman Brothers mm-hmm. in the mid-90s, and um, 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 myself and Lamar, uh, uh, um, I can't remember Lamar's last name, Lamar, what's Lamar's last name? I can't space it out. Williams, yeah, yeah, you know, who was the son of, of their second bass player. But um, it was a great band, man. It was so much fun. It was like uh, we would really go out and just jump off the cliff, you know. Oh, yeah, that must have been a But, a yeah, O'Teal's a fantastic bass player. I guess Dead & Company just announced their final tour, so it'll be interesting to see what his next project is i know i was thinking the same thing i i I wonder what's going to happen with that you know they've they've done this before they did the fairly well tour and then 
And then yeah. they're like, oh, that was it. Thanks, everybody. And and then they decided to do this, which was a pleasure for me. I mean, I've been a dead fan forever. Uh-huh. So that was that was great. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of wonder what's going to happen with that. I mean, maybe, maybe you know, they'll go off in pairs or something like that or um, do some other. But I don't think any of them are, are done playing. Certainly not Bob Weir. He, he can't help himself. Exactly. I was going to say, certainly <laughs> not Bob Weir. He's... Uh, he wants to play every night of the year. <laughs> yeah. um, I think Bill Kreutzman can lay back a little bit, you know. And, I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, Bobby Weir, I'm always amazed. They finish the Dead and Company tour, and, like, next week he's off with the one of his side projects, you know. It's, right. Wolf Brothers and uh, yeah, Wolf Brothers. does a couple other things. Uh, so your band, the Bruce Katz band, you guys have been playing pretty strongly together, what, since 2014 or so? Is that right? Well, um, the, my current band, um, I mean, I've had my band for like almost 30 years, actually, and I've had various members of it. I think, um, you know, I think this is the best band I've ever had. Um, Aaron Lieberman is singing and playing guitar. And he was a founding member of a band called God Screwed Wine. I'm not sure um, if you guys know, but they were sort of one of the first jam bands, like along with Fish and some and Midnight Traveler and stuff like that. Great band. And um, I have a drummer named Leviu Pop, who's been in the band for about a year. And but we've been playing tons. We've been actually writing a lot of new material. Um, we're going to actually go to Capricorn Records, Capricorn Studios in Macon, Georgia, in December and record this new album. Uh, uh, oh, I, was just, wow. I was just down in Macon, and I had heard that they had sort of restored it, but I didn't realize that they basically, it's exactly like it was like in 1973. Everything is the original, and it's just been all brought back to life, and it's this magnificent studio. So we're going down there to make an album. But, yeah, we playing a lot. And, uh, you know, it's a organ, guitar, drums. Um, I play some piano, too. I'm playing bass on the Hammond organ. And um, we, you know, we venture into a lot of different kinds of things. Um, you know, rock music, obviously, blues music, obviously, some kind of what I call soul jazz and new orleans music because that's all part of who i am you know um and uh i put like you said i've i've played with all of these other people and i love doing that but um when i get to do my own band you know i figure um no one can tell me what to do (laughs) (laughs) i can play whatever i want (laughs) um but but i mean it's all part of you know as they say whatever American music of all sorts, let's say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you started out playing jazz before you even uh, got into the blues. Well, no, actually, I started playing blues even before that. I mean, I was, uh, I was, I was playing blues when I was like 13, 14, 15. I wasn't great at it, but I loved it, and I was learning it, trying to figure it out. And then I got the jazz bug and uh, really delved into that for a while. But then after I, I mean, I spent a, a number of years learning bebop and, you know, more contemporary jazz stuff. So I thought it was cool. And then um, I just came back to like kind of my first love actually, which was, which was blues. Um, and when I did that, you know, what's kind of cool, I think for me anyway, is that, um, I understand all this other kinds of music and it's sort of buried down underneath and it surfaces when it seems like it should, you know, so we're playing blues and it might be, you know, or we're playing an Allman Brothers kind of jam, but I, something might come out that, that surprises me sometimes, you know, but yeah, so it, it started blues. I mean, actually I was a classical musician, taking classical lessons, all that stuff, but, um, as a started, kid yeah yeah started blues and got into jazz except i always played very bluesy jazz and then came back around as i started getting some opportunities that and i just you know rediscovered that like wow this is the most satisfying music to me i don't want to play um 
for intellectuals. Not that you can't be an intellectual and love blues music, because plenty of people do. But um, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it's a little bit of a different crowd, but you're right. I mean, it it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, blues offers all that same kind of stuff in in almost a more easily digestible package. Uh, it's, you know, it just keeps Yeah, but, you, you know, the thing is that a lot of, and I think this is why, you know, when, when you were saying um, um, sometimes blues musicians have an attitude about if you're a jazz musician or you're schooled or stuff, because sometimes, you know, the jazz musicians or the whatever classically, I mean, conservatory trained people, they don't understand blues and they don't, they don't understand that there's just as much detail, there's just as much complexity. It's a different kind of detail and a different kind of complexity, but it's there. Yeah. And I, you know, when I taught at Berkeley, there were all these great musicians teaching there, but there were only a handful that I would ever hire to play on a blues gig because they just don't understand it. They don't realize how rich and detailed and varied it can be when you get way into it. you know um it's just a misunderstanding right i right. guess so and so when you're when you're saying that you know what what's an example of some of that deep complexity that you that you get with the blues that uh, most people might not know about well you know i mean so there's the emotional content i mean i could talk sort of technically as far as you know People think of blues as, as three chords, just three chords. Mm -hmm. But, oh, oh, man, I just realized something. <laughs> okay. Um, Hold on one second. Oh, okay. Yeah, no um, problem. We're back. <laughs> Did you guys miss an exit? or Splice that together, yeah. Yeah, I know. Oh, man. Okay, good. <laughs> um Anyway, so you're um, talking about the complexity of the blues. I mean, I, I think yeah, I know what you're well, talking you know, they, about. There's, you there's know, they, go ahead. <laughs> um, they, you know, they think of it as like, oh, just three chords, man. Big deal. Three chords within those three chords. You can have moving harmony that passes through endless series of inner voices and inner progressions that that's what gives you the richness of, of, of a really great blues piano player let's say or um it's not that that he's playing three chords there's all these subtle chords within chords that if you really dig deep and study it and learn it and, you know because the music goes back 110 years 120 years and if you listen to like some of the earliest players they were doing all sorts of things that are beyond three chords um and that's what's overlooked a lot of times and just, you know, dynamics and, and just a lot of things that are that are um, classic for blues um, that somebody who's just looking to play, you know, um, fast licks on a jazz progression might not appreciate or understand. It's the understanding, actually, you know. Um, yeah. It's just like the whole, you know, the whole debate between... Um, just because somebody has a lot of virtuosic chops, does that mean that they're a good musician or that they're communicating something? Maybe it does, but not, that's not the definition in my book, you know. Um, so anyway, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather hear like uh, Charlie Patton banging on a acoustic guitar than a lot of people who have monster chops, blowing tons, shredding notes, you know. Um, there's more to, there's just more motion and communication sometimes coming from um, somebody like that. You know. and, and not I, to say that, you know, I mean, chops are great as long as they're used for good and not for evil, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there's, there's real honesty to uh, the blues also. You know, there's sort of. Yeah. Uh, because of the, you know, primarily being three chords, there's there's not a lot of uh, room for uh, I mean, it just all comes out. You know, you're hearing it all kind of. And uh, right. especially and, and you're you know primarily playing with smaller groups, too. I mean, you guys are a um, 
power trio, if I can call it that. I mean, there's three of you. And, right. uh, uh, you know, all that sound coming from just the three of you, uh, there's, you know, if any one of you uh, doesn't give it their all, then that comes through. I think you, you can kind of see that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. With, with your new album that you got coming out, um, is it already written? Uh, do you guys write it in the studio? How, how does that work? As far as um, how new material? Yeah, the one that you're planning uh, to record in, uh, in Athens. Yeah. Georgia. Um, well, you know, I mean, I'll, I, will, I will write a tune and, and uh, have my mind, but then we kind of vary it. I mean, I, you know, um, I'm not a drummer. And I'm not a guitar player, so I'm sort of trying to get ideas about what works on a certain thing. I do, um, you know, I do kind of, when I'm writing stuff, um, I write it for the people that I'm playing with, kind of. Not kind of, I do. Uh So that, um, you know, I'm writing music, be playing this music. I'm not writing it abstractly, like, hey, this is a cool tune. I wonder if someone will play it. I'm writing it for Aaron, I'm writing it for Leviu, and I'm writing it for me, and I know how they play. So that helps me when I'm, you know, when I'm trying to create something. Um, I know who will be playing it, and I'm fashioning it to their strengths and what they do. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I have a studio, not a recording studio, but just a teaching studio and a studio at, at my house that has a B3 and a piano and a drum kit and amps. And we get together and try to work it out. What we're doing actually right now is um, we have a bunch of new tunes. And one of the main purposes of this tour that we're on is to go out and play the tunes every night um, and see what they really are like. Because when you're in a rehearsal studio, you know, you're not sure what it's really, what really works and what you think is going to work. And so it's, we've already changed, um, two or three of the two, two the tunes as far as grooves and sections and um, what works and doesn't work. So, you know, it's, it's great to go out and play the tunes every night. You learn them and you sort of have them inside of you in a different way than just, okay, I, you know, I think this is cool. We'll rehearse it and then go record it. There's nothing like being in front of an audience and feeling what they're feeling as you're playing it. That's what we're doing. That's what we will be doing on Friday night at the Acorn. Um, we'll be playing at least half or, or three quarters of new tunes that hopefully everybody will love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that it, the, the crowd is going to love you guys. Uh, you're, you know, you're talking about, um, you know, sort of changing the songs as you continue to, to figure them out and as you're playing them and stuff, when does that ever stop? Or are you always just kind of reimagining the songs in a, on a micro basis, you know, like in a particular mm. night, you know, you're out there, you're playing it and, and then do you reexamine it afterwards? You say, Hey, you know, how did you like the way I did that? Or um, something like that. Do, do those kind of discussions come up with the three of you? That does come up sometimes. I mean, it kind of, I mean, there are certain tunes that are really open and then anything can happen, really. Like, really, you know, um, a jamming kind of improvisational thing. Where the, then there are tunes that are, you know, that have been written kind of in stone in a certain way that I've been playing for years, let's say. And, you know, the solo parts are always going to be different. Um, but the form and the groove and the lines, at some point they get really established and don't change. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Sorry, we're just following some directions here. <laughs> we don't want to miss our turn. I got to um, say, the 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 um, the telephone uh, connection is very strong. Like you know, it doesn't well, sound like good. you're in a in a, a car with a, you know the windows open or anything like that. I mean, it doesn't sound like it at all. So uh, whatever kind of system you've got in that car sounds great. Uh, you know, I was, um, uh, where do you think you got your first big break? I mean, I, you know, it sounds like you were, listen, I mean, it sounds like you were a piano virtuoso from a very young age, you know, started playing about five years old and, 
and ended up at the Berkeley School of Music and Berkeley College of Music. But where was like, you know, your real uh, first break that uh, made a difference between, you know, just playing around with buddies to um, getting a big break? Well, um, you know, one break was, you know, I mean, I was I was playing around, you know, I graduated Berkeley College of Music and I stayed in Boston where the school is. And I became somewhat well-known in the jazz world, a little bit in the blues world. I was playing quite a bit, but two breaks, I guess. One was um, getting to play with Big Mama Thornton, the legendary Chicago, uh, Chicago blues singer and harmonica player. You know, she did the original version of Janis Joplin's Ball and Chain and Peace of My Heart. Not piece of my heart. Ball and chain, and what was her other tune? Oh, she did the original Hound Dog that then Elvis Presley did after she did it. But um, and that wasn't like a huge career break. But what it was was, I went out on the road with her, and realized for sure that this is what I want to be playing. You know, uh, yeah. Like, you know, jazz is cool and it's fun and everything like that. But this is just so much more satisfying to me. And then I think, you know, a real break that I got was um, just accidentally ran into Ronnie Earl. um, And uh, I was playing, well, actually, I was playing this Boston Awards dinner. I don't know what it was exactly, but it was just um, a bass player and and me um, just sort of playing piano bass in the corner of a room. And uh, Ronnie Earl kind of walked over to me and was just sort of listening and staring and gave me his card. And, uh, or I gave him my card, I guess. Because six months later, he asked me to join his band. Wow. And, you know, then I proceeded to tour the world with Ronnie Earl and the broadcasters and meet tons of people. We recorded like six albums. This was in the 90s, um, like 92 to 97. Um, and that was that. That was that. Got me into, you know, the world of the international world of traveling and making a lot of albums with a lot of people. We played with like, you know, Earl King and David Fathead Newman and um, many legends of blues. And um, so I guess those are two pretty big ones. Um, then of course, a big one was. Um, I moved to Woodstock, New York, and I got to, I got to meet Levon Helm and play with Levon quite a bit. All but right. The saxophone player that was playing with Levon was in Greg Allman's band, and um, he and the Allman brothers were in New York for their for their uh, one of their Beacon Theater fourteen nights at the Beacon. Oh right, Theater. right. And um, he asked me, you know. Greg's looking around for a new new piano player. And uh, are you interested? I said, well, yeah, I'd be interested. And I figured, well, maybe I'm going to meet Greg or sit down and do something, play play for him. And Jay, Jay Collins, the saxophone player, he said, well, Greg says, just come down to the Beacon Theater and just get on stage and sit in with the Almond Brothers. <laughs> so, so it was like very very surreal you know i mean i didn't know anybody or anything so i come in the back door of the beacon theater i'm just like standing around like sort of freaked out about the whole thing and i'm then i meet greg briefly and i'm standing on the side of the stage and and then he just kind of points at me and i get up there and i play three tunes with the allman brothers and that's my audition sitting on the sitting on the bench with greg because what Greg would do is he would have the Hammond organ bench and he, facing the crowd is the Hammond B3 and facing the band at like a 90 degree angle is the piano that he would play. Uh-huh. And um, so we're both sitting on the bench and I'm like on the edge of the bench trying not to elbow Greg Allman in the, <laughs> in the gut while I'm playing or push him off the, off the bench. And I'm like, you know, there's 3000, 4000 people. And I just get up there and, play uh the first tune was um uh what do you call it uh stormy monday with the whole piano oh, solo. Yeah. but um yeah so that was 
that was quite an experience. I'll bet. I mean, you know, is this something that, that you were, uh, that you didn't even know which songs you were going to be playing? I mean, did right, you I have did, a right. lot of experience I, playing their songs before that? I mean, just to walk up there really, and no. be required to, to play their songs and, yeah, and not, solo not on really. it? I mean, <laughs> I had been listening forever. I mean, I saw sure. Dwayne with them. You know? Oh, I'm man. Old wow. enough to have seen Dwayne. Um, but yeah, it was just an amazing incredible experience and uh then they called me back to do it again a couple of days later and i got the gig man <laughs> <laughs> and and then did that start the rest of the touring with the band no i mean then um they finished out their run and then the greg allman band started their tour and mm-hmm. i was just you know i was i was on the tour with greg you know oh um, amazing yeah and, you know, it was one of those things where um, then I went and I just learned every single song. I memorized everything about every arrangement preceding that first tour so that, you know, when I got on the bandstand with Greg Allman, I didn't have any, you know, no cheat sheets, no nothing. I mean, I just I just pounded it into my head so I knew every move that they were going to make. Um, which is always a good thing. Some advice for you guys out there. <laughs> if you want to get a gig and impress the band leader, don't walk in with charts. Don't walk in with cheat sheets and absorb it. So you can do it from inside out from memory. And then the band, oh, you must really want this gig. Um, which is, right. Well, that definitely yeah. shows your enthusiasm for it. Yeah, exactly. Plus, you're going to play it so much better if you're not having that skip you know, look at some piece of paper with chords on it or something. Well, and the Allman Brothers, you know, their music is extremely improvisational. I mean, they start out with a right. bass, obviously, but uh, right. it, it, uh, it's very broad. So how could you right. go in there with less than a full knowledge of the actual song so that then you could take it to that next step and, right. and uh, right. I mean, that was explore the interesting thing. That was the interesting thing that I sort of learned during my time with Greg and Butch and, and the Almonds is, you know, the whole idea of um, like a lot of times, you know, you're in a band or you're in a, in a blues group, whatever, and the singer finishes singing and your solo is like two times through the form and then you're done. You know, I, I take a solo and then the singer comes back and does some work. Whereas their whole concept is you just take your time and you play as long as you want and try to build these long builds that go somewhere and then you might go somewhere else and then you might go somewhere else. Um, like Butch Trucks, that was his whole thing about mm-hmm. he just wanted to have this organic jam that could go anywhere. And you had to free your mind up to allow that to happen, you know. Um, and it's just a different concept than like, Okay, you get three choruses, and then the singer comes back, and then the guitar player, and then the song's over. You know, different thing. Yeah, so, that's a that little was, less. Was, yeah, there's a little less imagination to stuff like that for sure. Yeah, I mean that was that was very instructive and fun for me. I mean, I appreciate the other thing too. Some of my tunes, we play it. I take two choruses. Singer comes. You know, guitar player takes two choruses. We play the ending. And there's there's nothing wrong with that either. You know, it's. Uh, don't want to only do one kind of thing. Right, uh, right. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you're all over the place, too. I mean, you've got all these various um, inputs for for the kind of music that you're playing now. You mentioned before the um, sort of the New Orleans style. Um, yeah. Where did that develop from? Is that from uh, being in New Orleans, or was it from playing with uh, New Orleans musicians, or, or um, from your educational no, you experience? Know, I guess, well... Sort of none of the above. Um, just listening, you know, I mean, I really love New Orleans music. When I was like a kid, I listened to Dixieland, New Orleans, Dixieland jazz. But um, as a piano player, it's just from hearing records, really. I mean, I would be in New Orleans once in a while, but it's not like I ever lived there. And I didn't really play with New Orleans musicians, but I studied New Orleans musicians. And I don't mean in school, I mean... I would listen to James Booker and Dr. John and all the oh, yeah. great New Orleans pianists 
and I just even James, you know, um, um, Jelly Roll Mort. Um, oh sure, that was and, that's probably considered rag. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's not as rag as you think. But I hear Jelly Roll Morton. You hear the roots of Fats Domino and Doctor John uh, and Professor Longhair. You do. Yeah. Um, he's doing like the rumpus, like Professor Longhair. You know, New Orleans music is just so interesting. The Caribbean and the, you know, African American. So blues many and, influences there. Yeah, for so sure. many French and and Caribbean and, but um. So yeah. So you know, I've had people ask me that before because i really i think you know i i have a certain i don't whatever i don't want to say mastery but i will of new orleans piano style and it's just because i love that music and i've listened to it and i figured out what they're doing and it it speaks to me and and um so uh you know and like those piano players that i mentioned booker and and Longhair and dr john and lots of other people even um, Alan Toussaint, Fats Domino, and people mm-hmm. like that, Yui Piano-Smith. Um, I love that stuff. And so I really, um, you know, I always do some of that at every show. I'm, I'm playing piano and organ, and I've written a fair amount of tunes in that style. Um, in fact, my last album, which was called Get Your Groove, the title track, Get Your Groove, is, is like a real um, um, New Orleans kind of, 50s rhythm and blues thing. Actually, what was cool was that um, I had JMO playing on that. I was just going to say, yeah, I noticed that he's got a a byline on that or whatever he called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's yeah, he's amazing. He's he's been around a while. His style is kind of almost Caribbean. Um, uh, or you know, how would you sort of categorize his drumming style, JMO's? JMO. Um, well, it's kind of, it's a little stream of consciousness. It's coming more from a jazz perspective. Mm. Um, you know, that's why, like, Butch and J-Mo were the perfect two-drummer duos. Right, And right. I know, because I, Butch was like, you know, the freight train, right? His nickname was the freight train because he played so powerfully and just pounded it, you know, just created these grooves that were so strong. Yeah. And then... Jamo was like the color on top, doing the odd accents and the little things underneath that would make it just work so well. And I know Butch always said like the, that there was only one drummer in the world that he could play double drums with, and that was Jamo. He had no interest in doing it with anybody else. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think of Jamo's drumming as as. Um, it's not that it's light. It just, um, I mean, it's definitely a jazz touch more than a rock touch. And, um, thinking about the, like around the corners of the, of the groove and how to bring out elements and accents and color and depth to something. And that's kind of the way he's, uh, that's how he's thinking because Butch is like pounding, you know, pounding it out and um, jmo is is his uh right partner from a different angle yeah and then uh, uh the th- mark Jonas wasn't he uh he played more um like bongos and and that yeah kind of well thing? He, yeah he was playing you know 90 percent percussion stuff mm-hmm, right and, and all sorts of, of um, various percussion ideas so he was another layer on top you know yeah yeah but he plays very powerfully. One of my so. uh, old blues favorites is uh, John Hammond. You know, I mean, here he grew Me up. Too. His, his <laughs> right, I know. Yeah, you've got a strong connection with him. But here he grows up. He's the son of uh, uh, John Hammond Sr., I guess. Right? Oh, was yeah, his yeah. dad John Hammond? And uh, who who represented uh, Bob Dylan. So, I mean, that guy, you know, was... Well, he, I mean, his father signed everybody from Count Basie and <laughs> Billy Holiday to Leonard Skinner. Right. So it was a little understatement, yeah. but, uh, so here he got a dad in the industry, but John Hammond is, is the real deal himself. He could have come Absolutely. out with a different name, never even used his father and, uh, right. and had some great success. He, he's, uh, he's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, he's one of my favorite musicians in the universe. And, and yeah, you got to was, play with him. I got to. Yeah. Well, I only made one album 
with him because his albums were almost always solo. Yeah. Uh, but we did a bunch of tours and um, I loved that guy both as a person and as a musician. He is, it is so, there was so much soul on stage with John Hammond. It's just insane. Was he at Berkeley so too? Great. Did you know him from Berkeley? Oh, no, not at all. Oh, okay. No, actually, I met him because I was for about a year and a half, I played in the Duke Robillard band. Oh, Duke right. Duke Robillard's right. A founder of a room full of blues and one of the great swing blues guitar players in the world. And we would go out on tour sometimes and they would hook up these tours where they, they, they'd call them the, uh, the WC Handy All-Stars. And what is now the Blues Music Awards, which are given in Memphis every year, used to be called the WC Handy Awards after the great blues composer. And um, we did, so we would do a tour where it was the Duke Rollard Band was the house band and then it would be like Charlie Musselwhite, John Hammond, um, Marsha Ball, Johnny Johnson, people like that. And we'd go out and like eat John, you know, did I say John Hammond? I guess I did. Um, each person would do like a half an hour and then at the end it would be a big jam and stuff and we'd back everybody up. So I met John Hammond like that oh, around wow. 2001. Um, and then he, yo, truck almost ran us off the road oh um, man <laughs> um um he called me up but you know a couple of years later i i go home and this was when there was still answering machines and i turn on my answering machine and it's like hey it's john hammond i want you to be on my next record it's like you know i almost fell over and obviously wow. said yes 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 um so yeah so that's how i met john He's never, I mean, John doesn't read music or anything like that. He's not a, he wouldn't be at Berkeley. Just from the heart, just brings it from the heart. Yeah, well, he's got, see, now there's an example where the complexity of what he does on guitar as a country blues artist and stuff that, you know, you don't learn that out of a book, first of all. And I guess you could, but um, I don't think you do. You got to feel it, yeah. Yeah, you got to study the music too, I mean. You know, Robert Johnson created some of the most intricate guitar stuff ever. And he's considered like, oh, he's a country blues artist. Yeah, listen to what he's playing and try to duplicate it. Now, John can do that because wow. he's, he, he's a scholar of that music, a, a real scholar of music. And he's learned it just by listening. And actually, he got to put, you know, he came up in the early 1960s when a lot of the originators like Skip James and Sunhouse and, and um, many of the guitar players, they were still alive. Uh -huh. and he, Willie Dixon, and he got to um, hang with them and learn from them, you know. Um, like so Mike Bloomfield, anyway. he was one of those too, you know, with Muddy Waters yeah. and, and that yep. whole group. And, um, I, you know, you were talking about other piano players. Uh, I don't know if you mentioned Pine Top Perkins. He's another blues piano player. Oh, yeah. Been around forever, and actually, right. he's. Well, I, oh, yeah. go ahead. Have you had had you uh, had any experience interacting with him? Yeah. Um, wow. When I was with Ronnie Earl, we did an album that was uh, Pine Top and the Muddy Waters Band, and uh, Ronnie and I were backing them up. I mean, I was just playing organ. Pine Top was playing piano. And then let me see, when I was in Norway with my band um, and Pine Top was in Norway, they asked my band to um, play Happy Birthday for Pine Top's 90th birthday in front of about 5,000 screaming Norwegians. <laughs> and that was kind of fun. <laughs> so, no, I got to hang with him some. Um, and... Uh, marvel at at what came out of his hands you know oh yeah it's like the feel you know there you know there's an example he is not a virtu he was not a virtuoso in, in in the way that some other like big maceo or otis span were virtuosos but what came out of his hands was magical it's all about the sound the sound that he would get out of a piano the way he would place the notes where you know what he was playing was just so deep um, 
Yeah, great. But yeah, you know, the other pianist that I mentioned earlier, I was just thinking of New Orleans pianists, but then the blues pianists, you know, Otis Spann and Pine Top Perkins mm-hmm. and, and big Maceo Merriweather and all sorts of people that I admire. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I, you know, you have a guitar player working with you. You've got a, um, a drummer playing with you. Uh, do you ever bring in any other musicians like harmonica players or um, well, even do, a bass player? You know, we do, yeah, we do special projects sometimes. We did an album with this English harmonica player named Giles Robson, and he's great, he's really great, and, and he sings. And it was my band backing him up. We did a record, and uh, it did very well. We go out on tour with him sometimes in Europe, and we're going to bring him over here for some things. And um, on my own albums, I w- I mostly are I mostly play the organ bass, but on um, any piano tunes that I do, we we hire a bass player, and uh, occasionally you know, a little bit of bass playing on on uh, my albums. Um, but um, duh, um, yeah. I mean, we keep it mostly the trio, because I, I mean, I don't want to make a record or a recording, whatever you want to call it, um, that has like three horns and all this stuff, and then you see the, uh, you come out and see the band, and all you've heard is this big band with horns and all and harmonicas and whatever, and then you see it's a trio. Not that, you know, that my trio has a huge sound is all i can say um because there's bass organ piano and drums so it's like four people right there but it's just also the way that we i mean there's three of us but there's i'm kind of covering two things um it's just a very powerful sound i think we all really get way into it and uh, what comes out is a very um, unified and powerful sounding band i do think and, uh, well, that's that's great. People and, will hopefully experience yeah. it at the Acorn on Friday night. <laughs> that's I know right. There's an opening band that people tell me. The Resurrection Blues Band. band Resurrection Blues they band, are terrific. They're open the show. Yeah, they're, then, they're really uh, great. Uh, uh, Rodney's a, a buddy of mine, and he's uh, uh, he plays all his own original stuff. I mean, I think they cover a song here or there. But, uh-huh. you know, he's the real deal. He's uh, they're They're really trying to make you know, some real blues and uh, they're living the blues life because sometimes <laughs> you know, that doesn't come across like, you know, pop music does. And so yeah. they're just, they're, they're playing their hearts out and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing, seeing them open for you and yeah, uh, seeing the great. show on Friday. Uh, so hey, could, you, could you hold on for one second? Yeah, sure. Uh, just going to mention that uh, uh, while Bruce is, uh, straightening the steering wheel that, uh, that... I'm not driving. I'm not <laughs> driving. No, um, no, I was, I was being reminded by my manager to say that my website is brucecatsband.com. So yes, I, I thanks for pointing that, that out because I'm supposed to do some biz here and there. And, uh, you know, I'm on all the <laughs> social media things, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm not doing TikTok though. Um, yeah, right. You don't want them following you for the rest of your life. I just, you know, yeah, I mean, you know. Taking just, all your personal information. Maybe someday I will, but I'm not on TikTok right <laughs> now. Um, but the website has lots and lots of video and audio and stuff. You could see the band. Um, what we do is right up there. So Outstanding. Going on. All yeah. right. Well, Bruce, thanks again. Very much looking forward to seeing you on Friday at the Acorn and uh, safe travels. Um, I think you are in uh, Indianapolis tonight, and then actually tomorrow night. Uh, I'm in sorry, Indianapolis. right? It's Indianapolis just a travel day for us. Travel yeah. day, but, uh, but then yeah. and then uh, um, the Acorn Theater on Friday night. Acorn Friday night. All yeah, right. I'm really hoping to see all my fans from Mishawaka and South Bend and. St. Joseph and all the area around there that I have played, hopefully a bunch of new people that I'll get to meet and hang with, and um, we'll have a great time. You know it. The Acorn's a great place and a lot of fun. All right, well, take it easy. Thanks again. Okay, thank you very much.
And that was Bruce Katz. Wow, what a opportunity. What what a uh what a pleasure to get to talk with him. Um you're listening to us on uh Johnny Secret Stash and Radio Harbor Country and uh this is WRHC 106.7 FM out of Three Oaks, Michigan and uh also WRHZ 93.5 out of Sawyer, Michigan. Again, we're underwritten by Karis Cottages, one of uh, Kalamazoo's oldest uh, Airbnbs. Um, uh, Kara's Cottages, it's Kara with a K and cottages with a K dot com. Um, I want to close us out here with uh, this song that uh, Bruce was just talking about uh, from his 2018 album, Get, Get Your Groove. This is uh, Bruce Katz and JMO from the Almond Brothers with the title track of the song, Get Your Groove. <laughs> 